Welcome to UUCSW Reflections, a podcast by the Unitarian Universalist Congregational Society of Westboro, Massachusetts. We're glad you're here. I want to start this morning by pausing to acknowledge what's happening in the Middle East right now. I can say personally that seeing all the coverage of the violence, I've experienced a lot of horror this week, and I've been navigating the interpersonal complexity of what it means to take a stance on Palestine and Israel. And I imagine many of you have been experiencing a similar struggle this week. It's hard to know what to say or what to do, And in those moments, it's important to get grounded in our principles. As Unitarian Universalists, it is core to our principles that each of us has to search for our own understanding of the truth. Affirming the inherent worth and dignity of all people means that any form of genocide or religious persecution is wrong. Our commitment to democracy is a commitment to all people having a voice in their communities and their governments. These commitments are at the very core of what it means to be a Unitarian Universalist. And for the past few months, I've kept referring back to this idea coming from the Dr. Cornell West that liberal religion is defined by three core things questioning, justice-making, and hope. And West is clear that our questions and our interrogation of the world must assess issues of power and injustice. In our last coming-of-age session with the youth, we were talking about how to assess if an organization or community is who they say they are. And we talked about how two of the first things to look at are money and who is allowed to hold positions of authority, meaning whose power is considered legitimate. The conversation about Palestine and Israel is fraught with emotional complexity and seems unspeakable. unspeakable. And so I think it's important to name that because so often any criticism of the political actions of the Israeli government is immediately dismissed as anti-Semitism. And so the only safe choice is silence. But the Israeli state, Jewish people, and Judaism are all, yes, related, but separate things. And it's worth asking who benefits from conflating those three things into one thing. I cannot tell you where you stand or what this conflict means to you, but I do not think that deeming a situation unspeakable is in service to justice. And so before we begin begin this morning, we'll take a moment to pause and acknowledge the challenge and the horror, the violence, and all those who have died.
We're continuing this week with more stories on a theme. And this week we're focusing on stories of serendipity and awe. I found in my own life that noticing these moments of magic requires a degree of openness, a willingness to notice when life is dancing in harmony. Preparing for the service this week, I've been noticing a lot of these moments of sweet chance and perfect timing, a call from a friend at just the right moment. I find that there's so much relief in those moments of attunement because our interconnection becomes so clear and the world feels kinder, more supportive. Later in the service, we'll have views from the pews and I'll ask you to share moments of serendipity and awe in your own lives. But I'll go first. I found in my life that I often wake up with answers, a sense of clarity, sometimes to questions I didn't really know that I had. Several years ago, when I was still in grad school, I had a dream about a curly, red-haired puppy with knowing eyes, an equal mix of earnest and scheming. And his name was Henry. So I told my sister about this dream, and Henry became this elusive character who we were waiting to find. My sister, who was already married with two kids and a cat and a house, despite only being three years older than me, was particularly committed to finding Henry. I'd spent so many years moving and living in big cities and going to school, and she wisely thought I needed a companion. Now, my sister is a person who gets things done, and she was always trying to find Henry. Then in the fall of 2019, when I had just started here, she was pregnant with their third child, and her desire to nest kicked in. But as this was their third baby, there wasn't much they needed to do. So Lyndon became laser-focused on the search for Henry. She even convinced the whole family to chip in because I kept rebuffing her by saying that the kind of dog I wanted was more than I could afford. So she kept looking and planning and looking, and two weeks before Christmas, she talked to a breeder near her house who unexpectedly had two puppies that were available to to adopt. My sister lives in Minneapolis, and apparently two families had backed out, realizing They'd have to bring a tiny puppy outside in the sub-zero Minnesota winter. The summer litter already had 70 families on the wait list, but the Christmas puppies were overstocked and suddenly two needed homes. So of course, my sister called me and I'll say that she is someone who believes you can get a 20% discount on anything if you just ask the right way. So she will win in a negotiation. And so I said yes to this unexpected Christmas puppy. I was flying to Minneapolis on Christmas morning after we had our last in-person Christmas Eve service. Remember that? And I was scheduled to fly back to Boston the following Friday after New Year's, which was the day the puppies were going to the vet for their final checkups. Perfect timing. The breeder even agreed to have us meet her at the vet so we wouldn't miss our flight. 
Before match day, the breeder sent a video going over all the puppies in the litter and their personalities. We were last on the list to pick, so I was nervous we wouldn't like the options that were left. I wanted to train the puppy to be a therapy dog for church, which meant that temperament was actually really, really important. There were two puppies I knew wouldn't work. One was a really shy little girl who was anxious and didn't like meeting people. And the other was an alpha boy who was kind of a bully and would fall asleep in the food bowl, which I didn't really think would work well. By the end of the week, when my sister went to meet the puppies, one other family had also dropped out. So there would be three left to choose from. Lo and behold, two of them were the two I knew I didn't want. But the third one was Henry. In the video, he had been the happiest puppy, the most curious and excited to meet people. And when Lyndon went to meet him, she confirmed that she had, in fact, found Henry. And he snuggled up to her pregnant belly and fell asleep. Two weeks later, we drove to the vet and the breeder handed me all 3.8 pounds of Henry. He was so small, I was afraid I might squish him, but he was fearless and so excited. Even at the airport, which is a legitimately stressful place, especially if you're eight weeks old, he wanted to meet everyone and see everything. The flight attendants were so smitten by him and his trying to peek between the seats at people that they had me hold him up above my head like Simba in The Lion King so everyone could see him. Little did we know, four months later, the world would be shutting down because of this thing called COVID-19, and a few weeks would turn into a few months, which would turn into more than a year. There would be a shortage of animals to adopt because life became so lonely. And he is equal parts earnest and scheming. But thank goodness I listened when my sister told me that she had found Henry. Thanks for listening. For more information about what's happening at UUCSW or for ways to get involved, visit us online at uucsw.org. All are welcome.